Deremy, I wanted to begin with an ode to today's topic, Saturday Night Live. So, my friend, I challenge you to an impression off. Challenge accepted. Let's go back and forth and do our best SNL-related impressions. I'm so ready. Yes, all right. Here we go. I gotta like, all right. New York's hottest club is Ounce. Located in the middle of the East River, this place has everything. Cholos, cute people, a sheepdog that looks like Bruce Valanche, an entire room of puppets doing karate. It's that thing of when someone calls Miss Piggy fat and she goes, hi-ya! <laughs> With Stefan. Okay, your turn. Dark and lonely on a summer's night. Kill my landlord. Kill my landlord. Watchdog barking. Do he bite? Kill my landlord. Kill my landlord. C-I-L-L. My landlord. Little Tyrone Green. Tyrone Green. (laughs) Moo is the sound your mother made last night, Trebek. (laughs) That's pretty good. Sean Connery, everybody. That was really good. And my lady, she went downtown. She bought some broccoli. She brought it home. She's chopping broccoli. Chopping broccoli. She's chopping broccoli. She's chopping broccoli. She, uh, uh, uh. She's chopping broccoli. Derek Stevens. Yes. All righty. <clears throat> if you don't go to school, you could find yourself 35 years old, thrice divorced, and living in a van down by the river. <laughs> Little Matt Foley, I like it. <laughs> I like it. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. Got to give a little Wayne action there. All righty. Who gave you the idea to go gallivanting around town like some sort of woman of the evening? Could it be Satan? (laughs) Hey, Thomas, do you remember when, when you, that thing about Paul is dead? Paul is dead. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember. That was a hoax, right? Um, yes. (laughs) <laughs> so you had me do you're trying to do a paul mccartney impression yeah on yeah <laughs> get on the action all right i got one more <clears throat> i had to give my co-worker the heimlich maneuver okay i mean he was choking worse than nick anderson in the 1990 nba finals babe no little dennis miller there? oh dennis miller thank you i thought you were gonna <laughs> I didn't know if you would pick up on that one Jeez, oh of course i'm bad of course no that was good that was good man Okay, okay, all right. I'll do a little. I Thomas, I want to pump you up. Very nice, Hans or Franz. Yes, either one of yes. them. Okay, wow, impression off. I don't think either of us won that one, Jeremy. I'm not no. sure. Uh, we've definitely made it clear to the audience as to why neither of us was ever a cast member on SNL. And live from Albuquerque and Philadelphia, it's Pop Pop Culture Culture 5.
Welcome to Pop Culture 5. I'm Thomas Senna, and with me as always is the Wayne to my Garth, the Hans to my Franz, the Belushi to my Ackroyd, the Spade to my Farley, the Amy Poehler to my Tina Fey. What other SNL duos can I pick? I don't know. Yeah, I, I think you nailed it, man. I think you did. <laughs> yes. So, Jeremy Dove, how are you doing, my good man? Man, I'm so excited to be here with you because uh, this is this is a doozy here, talking SNL and talking SNL with, in my opinion, and I'm not just saying that because you're my friend and my co-host, one of the premier SNL experts out there, Thomas Senna. So this oh, is, uh, I'm humbly excited, but also like it's daunting, you know, doing this with you. <laughs> well, a little bit. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's well. We're both, I consider you like a huge SNL expert. Like you have definitely not surprised me. I shouldn't say that, but just, it was like a pleasant sort of like when I had you on as a guest on the SNL hall of fame, the first episode we did was uh, about Dick Ebersol, who was producer in the early eighties. And you just came with it, like with the wealth of knowledge you had SNL, you know, you knew the background, you had an enthusiasm for it. And then with the Adam McKay episode, again, it was just like you tore it up and everything. So, like, you're like, you were one of my go to guests for sure on yeah, that the SNL means a lot. Hall of Fame. Yeah. And yeah, that so, means a lot. so I feel, I look at you as like my peer when it comes to like SNL knowledge and fandom and everything. I was just fortunate enough to be in the position where Jamie Dew was able to give me a chance to co host SNL Hall of Fame and be able to talk about somebody important to the history of Saturday Night Live every week like i was just like right place right time kind of thing but i th- I consider us both like snl historians in a way yeah so well, that, and this that is means in- a lot man absolutely no and this is important like this is the reason why we came in contact a reason big reason why obviously that this podcast exists so this is our 10th episode of mm-hmm. pop culture five as well so i figured like this would be a perfect way to celebrate 10 episodes by talking about five essential 2000s SNL sketches, Jeremy. Yeah, and you know, it's awesome. And, you know, SNL pretty soon is going to be coming up on its 50th year of, you know, which is just unbelievable. And it's it's an institution. It's a pop culture institution. And it's one of those things, looking back, and it it brings a smile to my face because you know, hearing you speak about SNL and like the history and how we both have a love for it, you know, I, you as well, we both love sports and SNL was one of those pop culture things that you could compare to sports. And it's like, you know, looking at greatest cast members, great writers who were great influences, you know, which cast was greater, which season, like which, you know, like which team is better, this team or that team, which season's better, which, you know, cast member, which writer's better. And it's one of those things where, just like in sports, you know, for a lot of people and myself, talking with different friends, you know, my brother's friends, they have a different, you know, their cast was different than mine. It's one, even, I'll be quite honest, growing up, uh, some of the, like my friend's parents or step-parents, well, I wasn't a big fan of. I'm like, Mr. So-and-so is kind of annoying. Mr. So-and-so is a little <laughs> too much. We could talk about SNL, and they were always like, oh, they, you like that? That doesn't compare to the original with Belushi and the blue. You got to watch. And they didn't. I'm like, I have watched them. Like, I like them, but I like this too. Oh, yeah. you're crazy. And 
guess what? Now as an older person, I feel myself doing that when I talk to a young person. I'm like, oh, man, you got to see this when this happened, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I've become what I didn't want to become. I'm doing that to the younger people. But Mm -hmm. I think it's so cool that different generations can have that debate, have that argument, and come together and talk about SNL. Yeah, man. I think I think SNL to me is completely like sports. I'm a big sports fan for sure. And I look at SNL as the fifth major sport that I follow. So you got like NBA, NFL, the Major League Baseball, NHL, and Saturday Night Live. Like those are yeah. the sports that I follow. That's yeah. how I really watch it. And just with like with any sport a team that you follow or whatever, they might have a bad episode or a bad game. They might have a bad season. SNL has had terrible seasons. There's going to be a sketch that I don't like. There's going to be a sketch that I love that I think is a classic. Cast members who, you know, there might be a new cast member who I say, oh, that's a great prospect. I'm interested to, to, in following their career as they progress. And so there's just so many parallels to sports what it's what makes saturday night live just so unique to me as far as television sketch comedy like saturday night live just has a feel of something different the sports analogy is perfect jesse david fox who has a great podcast called good ones and he just came out with a great book called comedy book he's one of the first people who i i've heard it articulate like how I watch it in terms of sports. He and John Gabris had a great podcast episode talking about like SNL as a sport. And that's just completely how I watch it, Jeremy. Same with me. And I think just in a lot of ways, because, you know, SNL is a sketch comedy and there's different forms of comedy. And I'm a big fan of stand up as well. And that has influenced a lot of my love of comedy, but also my knowledge about it. But in a way, these years of following SNL and learning the history and seeing it, you know, the present day, it's really gave me that understanding and appreciation and a great education on comedy. You know, learning about that glue person, that person who maybe isn't the one who stripes it and kills it in the sketch, but they hold it together. Learning about that performer who's so versatile, they can do so many different things in a sketch. And those are things that were like great knowledge for me and great gave me a great appreciation of being a well-rounded comedian, but also being a well-rounded comedian, like fan of comedy, you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. I think SNL really was a great education for a lot of people to learn like what really is comedy and what like being a student of comedy is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It spawns so many careers, so many incredible careers. From the start, Chevy Chase was the first big star to emerge from SNL. But over the years, we've had Will Ferrell, Eddie Murphy. We've had Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, like just a laundry list. We've even had like Robert Downey Jr. was a cast member on SNL. Anthony Michael Hall was a cast member on SNL. A lot of people don't remember that. Like we've just had so many people coming through Studio 8H and move on to really successful things. Some who haven't, who've only made their mark on SNL, but that's part of the fun of being an SNL fan is seeing what's going to happen next. Right now, I'm curious to see how Kate McKinnon's post-SNL career turns out. She was in Barbie. I noted that. That was awesome. She was great in Barbie. So I'm going to see, like, so what does Kate McKinnon have in store next? And so it's kind of fun to follow these cast members and people like after they leave SNL, too. That's so much fun. 
and to your point, even like you know, um, like you said, Robert Downey Jr. You can look at uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus. You know, we mm-hmm. did a past episode on Seinfeld, where she got her start was you know being so she was twenty when she got hired. She left college to do SNL. Larry David as a writer, you know, that's where they met. That's where that formed. You look at Chris Rock. And Chris Rock wasn't really a breakout star on SNL, but, mm-hmm. you know, we can honestly say one of the big forces in comedy in the past, you know, over 25 years is Chris Rock. So I think that's what's even awesome about it is you can be on SNL and not be one of those, you know, Jay Moore, Janine Garofalo, different people, like, didn't really kill it on that show, but have had amazing careers outside of the show and after. And then you can also dominate on the show and, not really do so great mm-hmm. after your post SNL career. So it's really fascinating. Yeah, it runs the gamut. So did you have a cast that really like resonated with you? Yeah. So like for me growing up, like I really connected with a cast. I mean, there's many casts that you can say save the show. That's how long it's been out. Mm-hmm. But when uh Will Farrell came in and Tracy Morgan and that when they kinda my brother loved like the Farley Sandler. That I was young. I was watching them with him, but by the time the mid '90s came, I, I wasn't really feeling it, even in the moment. And I think a lot of people sure. now don't like it. But when they kind of brought in Will Ferrell and Sherry O'Terry, Tracy Morgan, Jim Brewer, all those guys, uh, that really kind of revived the show. I really loved that era and that that cast and what that did for SNL. And that was for me when Saturday Night. Hey, proud comedy nerd, proud nerd overall. And it's like, hey, what are you doing Saturday night? It's like, I'm watching SNL, baby. I got to watch my guys. So that that cast really always will be special for me. That is a wonderful cast. That was another, in my opinion, another golden era of the show. And it had, in my opinion, the GOAT, Will Ferrell. If we were to have a GOAT argument for SNL cast members, I would probably lean toward Will Ferrell and kind of stump that direction. I know it's, you know, a lot of people can... Well, maybe to me, like a handful of people can be mentioned uh, in that sentence. Yeah. But to me, he's that on cast, that short list. He's on that short list. To me, the that cast had the goat, but it also had like this stable of awesome women. It was like a new life for like women on SNL and women in comedy. Anna Gasteyer, Sherry O'Terry, Molly Shannon, even Rachel Dratch came like a season or two uh, after that. There's just so many talented women to come on the show. The cast that I loved growing up. One person was in your cast and that cast, Tim Meadows. Yeah, <laughs> Tim yeah, Meadows yeah. spanned like that whole era of. So I, I love Tim Meadows, and so that was my cast. So, so growing up, I started watching the show as it was airing on NBC, probably around ninety, ninety one. I think nineteen ninety is like my first real memories of watching SNL on yeah. NBC. So that was like Phil Hartman, Dana Carvey, Mike Myers. Jan Hooks, Nora Dunn, like those, John Lovitz, like those, that was my cast to me. That was another golden era. So we all have our cast. Like Lauren, Lauren is right. Lauren says everybody's favorite cast is the cast that they uh, grew up watching in high school, Deremy. I should have known you had a Lauren Mike impression in there. I was wondering. <laughs> it took I was me a wondering. few seconds for it to come in. I can't sit wondering. there and brace myself. Is there anything better though, on a side note, than hearing these cast members? People do like Lauren impressions. Like, just love it. I just love listening. Like, is there someone who do you think of like those former cast members has like the best Lauren? Well, 
I think Dana Dana Carvey probably has like he's he's like the maybe one of the OG uh Lorne impressions. Who did I hear recently on Fly on the, Fly on the Wall? Somebody had Seth Meyers, I think, surprisingly had a pretty good Lorne, from what I remember. But you're right, like every but Julia Sweeney, I think, did a pretty decent Lorne. I think she did. I think she did. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just my- Hard not to. <laughs> I, I love uh, I love Mike Myers. Obviously, the Austin Powers. Yeah. Like, but when even with just him in interviews talking about Lorne, and I remember I think he was on WTF with Mark Marin, and they were talking about when like he broke through with Wayne's World, and like at like the the you know, the read through and Lorne going, "Do we have another world? Is there a world?" And just hearing Mike Myers say <laughs> that like cracked me up. But um, I think my favorite. I remember laughing so hard. My whole office was looking at me, and I'm like, I had to apologize. Was Bill Hader being on Bill Simmons's podcast uh-huh. and talking about? I think him and Fred and maybe like Mulaney, they do like a Lauren impression because like Lauren name drops all the time, but acts like it's such a burden. <laughs> but they were like, well, what if we do that? But like he's name dropping serial killers, and it's just him <laughs> being like, oh, I went to dinner with Marcy and oh, son of Sam, you know, the other <laughs> night, and. uh we decided to go pick up Ted Bundy, and it's just him just doing all that. And just, uh, I thought I laughed so hard at hearing Bill Hader do that impression. So, like, Hader and Myers kind of always get me. Yeah, I love them. I love listening to former cast members talk about Lorne, and it's that thing where uh, we want the show to be good tonight. So let's try that thing tonight. Like, yeah. It's just, yeah. Uh, it's like all these Lorneisms and. And them just kind of commiserating about the experience because it's almost like they all went through like some sort of half trauma in a in a weird way being on the show. So it's yeah. fun to hear them talk about it. No, he he is somebody. Um, he's on that like it, definitely top ten, maybe top five. Like most interesting, you know. You ever hear that? We always do that conversation about if you could have like some dinner guest, who would you want? And like Lauren is very high up there. He's such an interesting person. And it's like, you know a lot about him because he's been in the spotlight for 50 years, but like you really don't, he is like mysterious in a way and, and how he's been able to man the ship for, you know, minus those five years, he was gone all that time and all the talent for writers and cast members that he's had to pick. It's been really impressive. Yeah, just a uh, super influential. Not just SNL, like he's comedy, been a comedy like producer of the some of the late night shows, movies. Just yeah, Lauren's definitely a, a seminal figure in the world of comedy. Like one of the handful. He he'd be if uh, he's one of the answers as far as like if you want, even if you had to choose three dinner guests, mm-hmm. I think Lauren Michaels would be on my list of yeah. people to have dinner with. Yeah, he's just very fascinating. Very fascinating. Yeah, so many reasons why we're excited about today's episode. Uh, So we are coming up with a list of five essential 2000s SNL sketches. So that's January 1st, 2000 to December 31st, 2009. So it spans that era. So since I'm the host this week, I have three choices. Deremy will have two choices, but he does have a veto if he chooses to use it. Yes, yes, yes. Use it, he may. So I don't know. He's not afraid to do it. So we'll nope. see if that happens in this episode. So and also if either of us wants to rewatch a sketch while we're having this discussion, mm. we can put the podcast on a little pause and 
uh, we have that option as well if we want to go into discussion with fresh thoughts or whatever um, we have that option as well so that's the rules of the show you're ready to uh, get into our choices Jeremy. five essential 2000s snl sketches let's do it all right so i have the first choice when i think of gosh the things that i love about snl i think we all watch it to to have fun i think it's just a very fun lively kind of i like that live element like feeling like there's some electricity and energy about that show. That's what separates SNL from a lot of other sketch shows to me is the live feel of it and the fun. Yeah. I feel like when an SNL sketch is fun, I feel like it's that much more fun because it's on SNL and because it's live. So I'm going to pick the most joyful thing that I've ever seen on SNL. It's the first installment of this. It's a recurring sketch. It's with Mr. Keenan Thompson playing DeAndre Cole in What's Up With That? We woke up this morning and I got out of bed Had a big old cup of coffee to clear my head Telephone ring and you wanna chat Well sit on down and tell me what up with that Ooh wee What up with that What up with that Ooh wee What up with that What up with that He said she Jeremy, the first one aired October 17th, 2009, so right under the wire of our December 31st, 2009, about two and a half months uh, below the cutoff line. This is honestly, I'll say it again, the most joyful thing I think I've ever seen on SNL. It's purely my favorite recurring sketch that's ever been on SNL. I love it so, so much. I want to throw it to you. Like, What are your thoughts on What Up With That? What up with that is one that I'll be quite honest. When it first dropped, and for because it's been going on for so long, I used to get annoyed by it. I'd be like, okay. "All right," because everyone just loved it, and I'm like, "It's, it's, it's not what you know." Being a, like an SNL nerd, I'm like, "What is the sketch? It's just stupid." Blah blah blah. It's one of those ones. It's like a pop song that you hear. So you're like, "I hate this song," but then you just hear so much, you're like. I like it. I like it. And after a while, you're like, you know, I love this song. And like, that's kind of my arc with that <laughs> sketch. I went from I hate it to like, it's okay to being like so many other people. I can't wait to see them doing it. And I can't wait to see Keenan like just breaking it out, doing his song and dance, but also just from Sadakis, just like, and just seeing like point and being with people and pointing out the little weird pieces around yeah. Keenan and the people who were just doing like, why is he doing that? Why is she doing this? It definitely became one of those ones that I have to admit, I did a complete flip on and now I love it. And you're right. It's just joyful. It just brings a smile to your face. That happened with a lot of people at first. It was like, what do I make of this? Like what's going on here? But then you just, you just love it. Like Keenan just sells it so hard as DeAndre Cole. So this sketch in particular, so it had, I want to give everybody on screen credit. So it had like Keenan Thompson, Will Forte, Bill Hader, Jenny Slate, Nassim Pedrad, Abby Elliott, James Franco, Gerard Butler, Fred Armisen, Jason Sudeikis, and Kristen Wiig. Naming all those names that just kind of leads you to, to picturing something that's chaotic, something that's a lot going on, which is all true. <laughs> it's almost like organized chaos because these what up with that sketches they are formulaic, but that's something that I don't mind personally. People yeah. say formulaic and as a put down, as a pejorative to some sketches, but I personally do not mind 
formulaic one bit. So you have like Keenan as DeAndre Cole just breaking out into song like that never fails to crack me up. Like when he's first introducing the show, you think it's going to be like, oh, it's just we're going to have a talk show. And then now now it's time to talk to the guests. But he's just here's the little the, the drum beat. And then he just kind of moves his head and just starts. Down. You could see the look on Keenan's face. And that's one of the first things that I love is his little look and. He's kind of shaking his head and he's looking at the guest and they're just trying to say what they're, they want to say and Keenan's like, totally consumed totally in 40 years. Consumed. Something we're losing dozens of animal and insect species every animal day. Animal insect species is a tragedy, baby. And I got to say, He's just kind of like yeah. starts humming things. Then you know it's going to build into something. And I got to say. And then it turns into something huge. And he's Absolutely. dancing. And we do know the beats, Jeremy. But it's still wonderful to watch, man. It really is. And I think looking at from 09 to all the years, you can see to me. that's a. It's kind of cool that looking at that sketch, I can see the growth and confidence in Keenan Thompson as mm-hmm. a performer. If I go to like that first one in 09 to then years later, seeing how comfortable Keenan is and how he really just owns the screen. And it's what I think about Keenan now, like, you know, in these more recent years, how he is just, he fits like a glove. And it's almost like, man, he was born to be a sketch performer and yeah. born to be on SNL. And it's like that progression of this sketch over the years to me shows that. And I could probably pick out like the year by watching a what up with that sketch because I, because of just Keenan and just the more comfortable, the more confident and the more he's just letting it loose. It's like, Oh, okay. This is that season. This is that year. So it's kudos to him because very few people, I think in the show's history could nail a sketch like this. Yeah. This was already Keenan's seventh season on SNL. And he Mm -hmm. was just by this point, he was good. But he still wasn't like, he didn't quite totally have his footing. He was maybe a supporting player. In a, I would in say for me ways. at this point, he was like, he had left for a while. It was like the dude from Nickelodeon early yeah. on for him mm-hmm. to where it's like, and they were like, why, what is he doing? Oh, he's a Nickelodeon guy. So we're like, it's like, all right, I guess he belongs, but he's not a mainstay. He's not what you're tuning in for to see. It's just like, oh yeah, there's Keenan. Yeah. He's at that point in his career, SNL career, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. But then what up with that happened? And we saw him transform and take off to arguably a top 10 or so cast member of all time now. Yeah, I I think um, <laughs> like, just for so many f- reasons, you got to put him in your top 10 cast yeah. members ever. Yeah. yeah, and that's amazing. And I think this sketch, I think you can pinpoint and say this is what launched Keenan into the next level as far as SNL goes. Jason Sudeikis is another one. Like that's just mm-hmm. you can't. He, he doesn't talk during these sketches, but you Hilarious. can't take your eye off him. Like what an amazing dancer, Jeremy. Jason Sudeikis can dance. He dance plays really dance. well. Yeah, in that red tracksuit when he's jumping into frame. <laughs> he's always. I've watched that sketch with different groups of people. He's always the first person that people point to. Like look at Jason Sudeikis. Look look at him. Look at that guy. Yeah. Like he's always that first person and. and credit to a great performer in Jason Sudeikis himself like he's he's awesome yeah he's so good uh Fred Armisen's always there as Giuseppe in this particular one Kristen Wiig 
Uh, a lot of times around this time, she would usually make an appearance. So she appeared as a random character. So we always saw somebody random from like pop culture or yeah. something come in. So this one was Peekaboo Street, the uh, skier. And so mm-hmm. she was just dancing as Peekaboo Street. There was one where like, I think it was Abby Elliott played baby Jessica grown up. So mm-hmm. <laughs> baby Jessica came out in the well. And was So just all these hilarious beats, just so joyful. So this is the first installment, October 17th, 2009. What up with that? Do I get a veto? Are we good? Moving no, on. You're good. You're good. You're good. And and I think it's an interesting one because it makes the cut by the date, but I feel like it's really a right. 2010s sketch when it like grew to being a popular one was the next decade, but it's an all-time sketch and where did it formulate in the 2000s so it has to make the list. Yeah, and I think the first sketch in and of itself is a classic one too. Like, I think it is. But I think I, they I, do get a little better. You're right. But I think this one's good enough in its own right. It's not like it sucked. And then the better ones were no, like after no. that. Yeah. I thought I, about that though. I'm like, this is, this makes the cut, but this just fills me with so much joy. I, for, for me, I mean, when it hit like the zeitgeist and everyone oh, was talking about for that sure. was like the next decade. Absolutely. Like, yeah. But this one is a classic sketch. I agree with you. It's the one with Gerard, Gerard Butler was hosting the episode. So October 17th, 2009, what up with that? Deremy, let's go to you. What's your first choice? Well, because I thought you were going to say it, mm-hmm. and I was actually ready. No, I'm not going to lie. This one was an honorable mention because I did know the date because I was like, when did what up with that start? So I was doing research for it. I'm like, oh, it does make the cut, but I'm going to go with something that you hear this everywhere. You hear it at sporting events. And for a SNL connoisseur, I, I'm wondering, I want to know, do you think this is the greatest sketch in the show's history? Ooh. Because it's from April 8th, 2000, with Christopher Walken as the host, but more cowbell. Can I just say one thing? Yeah, baby, just say it. I'm staring here, staring at rock legend Bruce Dickinson. I'm a cock and a walk, baby. And if Bruce Dickinson wants more cowbell, we should probably give him more cowbell. Say, baby. I think you said it earlier in the episode that Will Ferrell, he he makes it for you as a GOAT. I definitely think he's on Rushmore and on the short list for GOAT. And I think the first sketch that people are going to look to for someone who has so many sketches, so many iconic characters, is this one. More cowbell with Christopher Walken as Bruce Dickinson, the great Bruce Dickinson, the great producer, <laughs> you know, Will Ferrell as Gene Frankel, you know, the Fear, Fear the Reaper, Blue Oyster Colt, you know, you have Chris Kattan in there, Jimmy Fallon, Horatio Sands, Chris Parnell is in there, and this just with the more cowbell and the need more cowbell, baby, that, that Christopher, I'm not a good Christopher Walken impression, but I think this is one, it doesn't even need much explaining because everyone knows this sketch, it's that iconic, and the fact that we're going on uh, 23 and a half years later and you can just say more cowbell and people know what you're talking about. This song, Blue Oyster Cult, Don't Fear the Reaper, I love this song. This was one where like, oh, I knew it, but I was like, I didn't know the group. Now I feel everyone knows who Blue Oyster Cult is. It's a great song, but because of this sketch and people know what the cowbell is because of this sketch, you know, in a way. So I think this is like, it's a slam dunk for best of 2000s. The question is, it's like, where do you rank this on all-time sketches in the history of the show? Because it's that iconic. It's got to be top five. 
Yeah, I, I would think. Yeah, if we're doing just iconic and memorable and quality, so this is like a quality, hilarious sketch. I remember I was watching this episode live. Me too. I loved Christopher Walken, and we were just, I was just like, oh my God, what is this? This is so weird. This is this is wonderful. And so it is out there, Jeremy, like as far as like greatest ever, This is, it's in the conversation for sure. And just Christopher Walken and Will Ferrell, I think they were the co-stars of this sketch because both oh, of them, like, sure. yeah, Will Ferrell with the physicality of exploring the studio space and and doing all that, and when he's sarcastically playing the cowbell in Chris Parnell's face mm-hmm. when when Parnell was wanting him to tone it down, and then he just kind of kicks the mic and everything goes haywire like that. Yeah, that's just perfect. And Walken, he like saying he has classic lines. Before we're done here, y'all be wearing gold plated diapers. Like Katan, what does that even mean? What does that even mean? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. This is incredible. I can't believe Bruce Dixon digs our sound. Easy guys, I put my pants on, just like the rest of you, one leg at a time. Except once my pants are on, I make gold records. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. And they give that like fake corny laugh, like the bail. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> and then we all know like so there's like this comedic tension in there where Will Ferrell's playing the cowbell super loudly initially and we all as audience members are like damn that cowbell is loud but then Christopher Walken as Bruce Dickinson comes in here and he almost sorts of sort of like calls out the comedic tension and lets the that lets the sketch sail from there when he says that, that was going to be a great track guys what's the deal uh, are, are you sure that was sounding okay i'll be honest fellas it was sounding great but i could have used a little more cowbell <laughs> and then that's yeah. when an audience member you're like oh he recognized it he called it out that's what the sketch is about and we're off right like, right because I think it's so iconic that if you weren't around for it or you didn't watch it then and didn't know, because this is one of those ones, Sunday morning, everyone was talking about it. Like, it was like, it wasn't like, oh, it caught on later. It caught on right away. Everyone was talking about it. And I think it was just great that you thought, like, oh, is this like a Blue Oyster Cult tribute or something? Like, you didn't know. But then it's like, yeah, why is he just playing that cowbell so much? And then when he calls it out, and just like from hearing, like, in dress rehearsal, it didn't get that big of laughs. And then Will Ferrell changing his shirt. And I think you're right. I think that – and I, you got to give props to Parnell because he's the straight man, you know, and, yeah. in it as well. And he, that's huge. So They like, call him the Iceman, Chris Parnell, because mm-hmm. yeah. he didn't break, famously. He didn't break. And it's one of the times – I don't know how you feel. I didn't like when um, Jimmy Fallon and Horatio – they broke a little too much for me. Like right. it was all the time. This is one of the few times when they broke, like, Jimmy Fallon breaking. Like, I, it kind of helped it enhance the sketch a little bit. I agree. Like, because it was just, like, it was just so outrageous. And, and you're right. I think my favorite part is when he's just really explore the space and then with that tight shirt and he's just going into it. Like, see Will Ferrell's belly coming out yeah, of the shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, yeah. it's hilarious. Like, but I just think, like, I try to look around and be like, get other sketches, but I'm just like, I don't think it'd be fair to people who really love SNL, people who are listening to our podcast, if I don't put this on here, because it's just that, it's not like, oh, it's overplayed or over, it's hilarious now, 23 years later, I'm still cracking up at it, so more cowbell from April 8th, 2000, 
has to make essential 2000s SNL sketches. Yeah, agreed, agreed. This is a Stone Cold classic. Wonderful sketch. We have the first installment of What Up With That from October 2009. From April 2000, we have Cowbell. Behind the music, Blue Oyster Cult, I think Mm -hmm. it's officially called. It's the Cowbell sketch to all of us SNL nerds and beyond. So great choice, Jeremy. Absolutely. Yes. So with my choice, my second choice, our third overall, I think I'm going to stay in the year 2000. SNL to me has always been, I know a lot of people say SNL has gotten too political over the years. They've always been political, man. Like ever since Chevy Chase fell as Gerald Ford and Dan Aykroyd did his Jimmy Carter and all of they did, they used to do presidential debate sketches in the seventies that were really great. So SNL's always been political. They've always had something to say about politics. And to me, one sketch in particular just highlights like how genius SNL could be at political satire. So this was written by Jim Downey, stars Will Ferrell, Daryl Hammond, and Chris Parnell. It's the first presidential debate between George W. Bush and Al Gore. That's from October 7th, 2000. Now, one of the keys to the lockbox would be kept by the president. The other key would be sealed in a small magnetic container and placed under the bumper of the Senate Majority Leader's car. Governor Bush, the next question is for you. To me, this is like, as far as political satire and SNL goes, this sketch just has everything you want, I think, in political satire. This was like the crowning achievement as far as politics goes for SNL. Yeah, I really think you might be right on that. I think just from hearing strategy to I think it's 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 one of those things where that impression and that's what SNL is known for. You look at the first Bush with Dana Carvey, when people really were hearing Dana Carvey as Bush, when they thought of George H.W. Bush, they went there mm-hmm. before they went to the actual man. I think for a long time we went to Will Ferrell as George W. Bush before we went to the actual president, George W. Bush, from these sketches. And I think it was one of those things where you just have – because, hey, like you said, SNL's always been known for political. Sometimes they don't have the right person to play that political figure, you know. But I feel this is one of those times where it's a slam dunk. You had the right people to play Pharaoh as Bush, Daryl Hammond as Gore, and then – you know, obviously we're focusing on this one sketch, like that's what you picked. But mm-hmm. then with the whole recall, it was like, to me, I'm like, this is like overtime. You know, we're mixing SNL and sports. So to me, it was like, oh, you got to pick one. And then when it went to recall, it was like, we got overtime at this amazing sketch. So that's how awesome this was mm-hmm. that one of the first thoughts I had when it's like, we don't have a winner of the presidential election is like, I can't wait to see what SNL is going to keep doing with this thing. Cause right. now it's going to keep going. So this is, there's no veto. Cause this is just so awesome and so iconic. And you know, there's so many moments in this sketch that in my mind over the years, I had thought that these moments happened in different sketches, mm-hmm. but it's all the same one. So like, I remember even toward the beginning of the sketch, when George W. Bush, played by Will Ferrell, says something about Al Gore messing with Texas, and then Chris Parnell, um, he played uh, Jim Lehrer, he and he just deadpans. He says, "I do not believe that he messed with Texas." So there's the whole like messing with Texas mm-hmm. thing initially. You had 
uh, Lair reading a nonsense Bush quote. Two weeks ago, at a meeting of the Economic Club of Detroit, you said the following, quote, More seldom than not, the movies gives us exquisite sex and wholesome violence that underscores our values. Every two child did. I will. End quote. <laughs> what did you mean by that? <clears throat> Pass. So like that's another classic moment. This is all this is all in the same sketch. And then Gore answers the question instead, and Bush points at him and says, "Bingo! Yes, that was it." That, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Lehrer asks a question about the Middle East, and George W. Bush gets confused by the names of the countries and the people. <laughs> you can see the look on Will Ferrell's face, and he says, "I'm not going to pronounce any of their names tonight because I don't believe that's in our national interest." Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. And then we didn't even mention. Well, Gore has a story about this lady named Etta Munson. That that gets really funny, um, and yeah, didn't even mention. Like, can you sum up in a single word the best argument for your candidacy, Governor Bush? Strategery. <laughs> Vice President Gore. Lockbox. And that whole lockbox thread by uh, Daryl Hammond's Al Gore was just great. Because I believe Al Gore had used the lockbox analogy in a real debate. He did. Yeah. But then Jim Downey and them were like, what if we actually make it so Al Gore is talking about like an actual physical lockbox? <laughs> like, well, that's right. a great spin on it. And I think you're right that we have to call this like the greatest sketch because for both these real candidates, I think uh, it came out in a book that when – George W. Bush saw like his staff laughing at it. He got pissed at his staff for laughing at this sketch. And on the flip side, Al Gore's like you know his uh, campaign team were looking at how Daryl Hammond portrayed him as like you yeah. got to loosen up, like you're you're coming off. That's what people think. You're stiff and boring. And honestly, like at the time, I'm like, yeah, that's what I kind of thought. And like Al Gore actually is much more interesting than this sketch, but that's how he was campaigning. And it was like the power to nail that to where you affect these campaigns. And they're looking at, man, how you're portrayed on this sketch comedy show is how you're coming across to real life voters is amazing. Yeah, that says uh, definitely says a lot. And uh, do do you think so? Do you think sketches like this or comedy in general, whatever, like, do you think things like this can have an impact on elections? Maybe not on the outcome, but do you think they can impact facets of an election? I agree. Not on an outcome, but I think definitely. um, I mean, hell, we know the story people talk about with Nixon and being on laughing Mm -hmm. and sock it to me. You know, that was back in 68. So I think. Definitely, it can have a, an impact of like how people perceive you. If like, oh, I like him or her, they can laugh at themselves. They can take a joke, or okay, they're funny or they seem relatable. Even though, like in reality, we we have no idea how they really are from a sketch because it's a sketch. But I do think people look at it, and I think that's why a lot of times it's become a staple when you have a presidential election. Like a lot of the candidates are are stopping by SNL to kind of get that like boost figure. So, I mean, uh, not on the outcome, but I think definitely on how they come across to voters to an extent for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I definitely agree with that. It does say something, as you mentioned that Al Gore's 
campaign staff showed him uh, how SNL was portraying him. He was like, hey, look, man, like you got to cut it out with with your whole shtick of of uh, lecturing the country. And it's like, this is how you're coming across. So, yeah, right. so we just thought we'd let you know. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. so this is, uh, got, you got to mention again, Jim Downey, too. Like, Jim Downey, to me, I do the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. He's been a nominee of ours. He's not an SNL Hall of Famer, which I disagree with. I think travesty. Jim Downey. Travesty, yeah. I think Jim Downey is an SNL Hall of Famer. He needs to be in the SNL Hall of Fame. He's that I th- good. I think you can make a case he's the greatest writer in the history of the show. He might be. Him, Robert Smigel, there's like a handful of people that I would mention, but Dan- Jim Downey's like one of them. So this was his brilliant – he had a brilliant mind for political satire, and this yeah. is just uh, one of many – uh, great examples that we could pull. So first presidential debate between Bush and Gore from October 2000. That's our third choice for essential 2000s SNL sketches. Deremy, you're up with our number four pick. Yeah, number four. So I'm going to go because I, I did want to ask you a question, but I'll save it for a little bit later. Ooh. But um. My number four was one that, honestly, I, I tried to leave off. I really did. Because I'm like, man, I, I don't know if I can justify this. I love it, but can I justify it? But I looked at it this way. I have the veto this episode. So <laughs> I love it. You, may, you may kill it, but I okay. really do think it's essential. Okay. I'm going to take us back to May of 2009, the season finale of season 34. Will Ferrell's hosting, and it's the and we will all go down together. The Good Night Saigon sketch. Oh, yeah. And we would all go down together. We said we'd all go down together. Yes, we would all go down together. I think it's one of my favorite sketches of all time for sure, but I think it's amazing just when you have, you know, Will and, and you know, Daryl Hammond, he's leaving the show. So, like, it's a really big deal. But, you know, Will, Farrell Hostin and him and Keenan and Hayter and Daryl Hammond, you know, classic just, you know, business guys talking about, you know, vacation and all that and what, get you know, Will Farrell being classic, Will being all corny. Where are you going on vacation? Where in the world is, you know, just <laughs> doing all that stuff. But um, hearing Daryl Hammond talk about, you know, going on vacation in Vietnam and then just like Fritz, you know, which is Will Ferrell's character. Have You know, you've been to, you've been to Vietnam and then just him having that look like he's that soldier, you know, who, you know, come, he came back from the war and then they just bring in that awesome, just like, you know, that piano from Billy Joel, Goodnight Saigon mm-hmm. and him just getting up and singing. <laughs> Then the cameo after cameo, I remember seeing this live, and then you just see from Amy and Maya Rudolph, and then you get Anne Hathaway, then you get Tom Hanks, then you get Green Day out there, then, oh, Elizabeth Moss, 
oh, we're going to get Paul Rudd. Like, Artie Lang. Artie Lang. Yeah, that was like a random one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like Artie Lang's out there, and then it's just like you're just panicking. And you're just, what the hell? All these people are out there for this sketch? And then just like the way Will's, you know, just bringing it home for everybody. And then just honestly, it's so random. Kind of reminds me in a weird way of the what up with that kind of sketch because you're yep. just looking at like look at who that is but what are they doing and why does tom hanks have a saxophone and you know all these different things and then for it to end and the way they all just start walking off the stage like that and then people just cheer like Artie lang and then will ferrell's the last one and him walking off and then they're like oh did he get out of pain again like that's what it's about but it's one that I, it's one of those ones that you kind of, I'll be honest, Saturday Night Live, it's on 1130 to 1, we all know that. And there's sometimes where you're a little more up for it, sometimes you're watching it, you're a little tired. And it's one of those ones where the sketch, you're kind of fading, you're a little tired throughout the night, it's the season finale, and when that came on, it gave me a jolt of energy. And I think that's what's special about SNL sometimes, especially as the years have gone on, and that celebrity factor of who can be there, and doing what, it's just awesome because it's live, it's New York City, all those great things. This sketch kind of hit it at home for me. And I think the meaning behind it, in a way, I mean, it's a funny sketch in a way, but like just what that song means. And I feel like it's, you can use it for people, hey, who were on SNL or have hosted SNL. We've been, we've all go down, we've all been through this together. We all, mm-hmm. you know, a tribute to Daryl Hammond. Yeah, I'll be honest. That was Daryl Hammond's last, last sketch. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it's like a beautiful tribute to him, but also I'll be honest, I've sent this sketch to like people's weddings I've been in as like it's funny, but it's a semblance of I've known you for so long, our friendship, and we've been through so much and hey, I'm I, not that their marriage is going to go down, but just like you know what I mean, like mm-hmm. we're all like hey, that that's friendship, that's brotherhood. So I just think it has to make the list for essential 2000 sketches it's one that doesn't get talked about enough in my opinion no i i, I like it and on the snl hall of fame podcast we recently did an episode on daryl hammond this did come up it's uh it, it was just a wonderful send-off for him the, what you're right what the song means the fact that this is a live show and it felt big it's one of those that they seem like they utilized the studio in a lot of ways it it really did feel like a big thing. Um, I think the punchline, like when you when it started, it was like you've been to Vietnam, haven't you? Like so, you think like oh, you fought in Vietnam or whatever. Like, but he didn't he just go as like on a vacation or something yeah. like, to Vietnam, yeah. and that's so it was a lot more low stakes than like, mm-hmm. than like an initial. Wow! So he just visited Vietnam like like a tourist. Yeah. But did something bad happen to him? I think he lost his luggage. <laughs> so you had like a fun premise there and just seeing like a who's who of cast members, a who's who and like Anne Hathaway, as you said, and a bunch of great guest appearances. This is just like a big fun sketch, a great send off to a, top 20 cast member in my opinion and daryl hammond like just had so many great elements to it yeah well and i think um you know when Kristen wig had her send off it was no big surprise or tina you know kate mckinnon like these are big name 
people who got these send-offs, and rightfully so, and we kind of knew that. But I think Daryl Hammond is a low-key guy as far as, like, to, like, the casual SNL fan. I think people like us, we know how great he is, and we love them. But I think if there's someone who's, like, that sleeper, that, that like, great cast member who people don't think about, but it's like, man, it's a big deal that he's leaving and needs his own kind of, like, special send-off, it's Daryl Hammond. And I was so glad that they did that for him. And I think this, like, kind of defied him. Like, to this song, this sketch defines what I think about Daryl Hammond and his SNL career, to be quite honest. No, I, I completely agree. This is, uh, in my book, this is a super memorable one. I don't think it's a weird choice, Jeremy. Okay. I do think it's it's an essential. It might not okay. have been one of my top five essentials, yeah. but I can't argue that it's not an essential 2000s SNL sketch. Right, right. No, I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, And because... Seeing, you know, from it's we're going January 1st, 2000 to December 31st, 2009. In that time, you can look at all the decades of SNL, you can do this, but we're on the 2000s. I wanted to know for you, if you look at the first half of the decade to the second half of the decade, which one do you enjoy more? Which oh, one do you man. think the show was better on? I would say, I, I think the second half of the decade as much as I like the first half of the decade, I think the the show really it hit a lull. Honestly, after Will Ferrell left, there were a couple seasons that were kind of bad. Honestly, like as an SNL diehard, I'm not afraid to say when a season's bad. And there were a couple there, 2003-ish range, that were not great. But then, gosh, Bill Hader, Kristen Wiig, Jason Sudeikis, Fred Armisen, you had all these amazing cast members all these talented people and then you started seeing keenan was already there maya rudolph amy poehler was there for a while bobby moynihan joined the mix a little later on but just so much talent i think the writing maybe was a tad more clever in the later 2000s than than earlier um i think earlier had huge characters and there were a lot of great things late 2000s barely edges it out I was curious because I think the later half of the decade is better for that reason, and rightfully so. Uh, you're replacing uh, an iconic cast member like Will Ferrell. No one can ever really re- fill those shoes, but it's just like I think that was a big hole because he did become – I remember Will Ferrell making that joke on like the, the SNL in the 2000s documentary saying like Lauren would come up to him, no pressure, but the the show was on your shoulders. Like, And I feel like a lot of times <laughs> – like. There was a talented cast, but it became very Will Ferrell-centric into the early part of the 2000s. And so I think that void was there. But the second half, I think the people who came in the early parts who needed to find, like a Seth Myers, Amy Poehler, like they came in like 2001. But the second half is when they kind of found their footing as well. And then like you, all the people you named who came and striped it. I, I just wanted to see. I think the latter half of the decade was better mm-hmm. too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for sure. So we have What Up With That from October 2009, Cowbell, First Presidential Debate, and Goodnight Saigon as our first four essential 2000s SNL sketches. So I guess it's on me. Yes, and sir. And you know what's funny is 
So I'm looking at the years and stuff. So we have two from the year 2000 and two from 2009. I know. <laughs> that's why I asked the question. That's, that's what just, made me think yeah, about it. Yeah, that's just kind of how it worked out. And I'm looking. I, there's probably there's two or three that I'm kind of debating over right now. It's kind of funny because one of them is from 2000, one of them is from 2009. Yep. And then there's another one from 2004. So I'm like, where do I go mm. knowing what we already have? One of my favorite things about SNL, I'm prepared to get vetoed right here, but one of my favorite things about SNL is really super absurd sketches. Like, I love absurdity. I love things that, like, the premise is just, like, what? And a lot of it, a lot of the sketch boils down to performance, funny non sequiturs, things like that. So I, I, I wouldn't be me if I didn't, try to shout out an absurd SNL sketch, a 10 to 1 SNL sketch. <laughs> um, so the one that I'm going to pick is uh, Will Forte is one of my all-time favorite cast members. And I think he, more than most anybody who's ever been on SNL, is the king of the absurd. Kind of where he made his bones, I think, is as an absurd cast member. He's definitely up there. I never... Um... That's a debate I haven't had with yeah. a lot of people, but I think it's an interesting debate, a good one. And he's up there. I, I as far as that one I, niche, like just oddball cat. Uh, I think like Molly Molly Shannon. I feel like is pretty Molly Shannon. Uh, Phil Hartman just, did a, a few uh, some some decent oddball sketches, but I think that that's what Will Forte kind of. That's I think that's how he made his bones on the show. To me, he carved yeah. out a space that was unique. In, in his, I agree. In his time period. I can see that. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. Yeah. So, uh, so I want to talk about one of my favorite absurd sketches of all time. Uh, so it's going to be from 2009. So we have another 2009 sketch. It actually barely makes it uh, under the wires. December 5th, 2009. Wow. So it's Will Forte, Jason Sudeikis, and Blake Lively. It's uh, a sketch called Potato Chip Thief. Janelle, what would you say if I told you that that man right there is nothing but a common potato chip thief. Ah! Potato chip thief! What? You have no right! No right! I did not come here to have my reputation assassinated! Then you shouldn't have taken that potato chip! You don't take people's potato chip! But I did nothing of the sort! That is between you and your God! I do know it. I do know it. But I okay. I, I, I want to okay. hear you, you defend it first. Okay. Well, that's that's it. Like Like, I think this is a perfect example of just absurdity and taking a premise to and stretching it out and escalation escalation and you have great performances like jason sudeikis putting on this this southern gentleman affectation will forte with another like southern affectation so the whole premise is that jason sudeikis plays like a like i said like a southern gentleman who wants to be an astronaut and so he goes to NASA and he's having like this job interview with Will Forte and Will Forte has to leave the room and Will Forte asks Jason Sudeikis not to eat his potato chips that are sitting in the bowl right there. It's already an absurd premise. So Jason, he does this great bit of, of physical acting where he kind of looks around, looks at the potato chip, looks around, and then, you know, he just kind of takes one. Will Forte walks back in and he... Right away, he looks at the bowl and he's like, did you take my a potato chip? And then he kind of counts one, two, three, four. So there's supposed to be 35 in here. I counted right. 34. So then it just like 
takes off from, from there and they're just like, it breaks out into lunacy and they're yelling at each other. But some of the lines that they're yelling, like, uh, Will, Will Forte is like, Well, I got news for you. You are blacklisted. 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 No. You will never be an Astra. You don't take people's potato chips. You will never stroll the moon in a puppy suit. Don't say it. You will never drink tea. Take it back. You will never pee in the absence of gravity. You don't take people's potato chips. But I didn't take that chip. You, sir, are a liar. I am not a liar. So they're just like saying stuff with conviction, but it's the dumbest stuff you've ever heard in your life. So I love that like juxtaposition of like being really confident in what you're saying, but what you're saying is just completely absurd. Blake Lively joins in on the fun. Just the commitment to character for such like a silly premise to me is something Jason spitting the chip into Will's hand and the kind of the look that Jason gives Will before he's about to do it. Just kind of like a shocking kind of thing that happens with the audience. And it turns into like this Tennessee Williams dramatic play because of a eaten potato chip. Mr. Greenblatt, why do people do things like that? Because they're hungry, Janilda. Because they're hungry. <laughs> So that's my choice. I do have a, a sketch in the chamber that might be a little more traditional-ish, maybe, but I wanted to just call out like a perfectly executed absurdist sketch uh, in Potato Chip Thief. This is tough. This is a tough one. Part of me, every fiber says I should veto. Because I do know this sketch. I was, I was, I do. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I do. I'm not going to veto for those listening. It's not. I'm not cowardly. <laughs> I'm not cowardly. Thomas said the a couple words that is what's sticking there, and that is the ten to one sketch. If you've listened, you know I try to repeat it, but I said it in our first episode. The way I look at it is, if someone who never heard of SNL or some alien from outer space came down, and we're going to show them SNL in the 2000s. I mean, you'd really look at SNL history, but we're folks on the 2000s. You know, it's an hour and a half show. And so a lot of times those great sketches to hook you in, the cold opens, that's 1130. You're trying to get people to stay around. But, I mean, a lot of times as the night goes on, it's like, all right, they're throwing up some hay, some haymakers. Some hit, some don't, some make you scratch your head. This one is one at first head scratcher. Later on, it was kind of like it's funny. But I think that is showing the true thing of SNL. It's not a half hour show. It's 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I think anyone who knows SNL knows there's a big audience for those who just love to watch the 10 to one sketches and love to see the absurdity. And I did check. I made, I went back and checked. I want to shout out one SNL a day, which is a wonderful blog. I use that for a lot of my research for SNL hall of fame. I checked one SNL a day and this was a 10 to one sketch. So it was the last sketch of the night. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to double check. No, absolutely. Yes. It and felt so, like a 10 to 1, even if I didn't 100% know oh, it was. Oh, for sure. For yeah. sure. For sure. I would have lost a lot of money if it was like, no, that came <laughs> yeah. on at 12. I would have been like, really? the lead sketch of the night? I would have been like, I, I go, maybe Lauren mailed it in that night or something. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't paying attention. Yeah. But um, because you said that is why I won't veto. That's important to show what SNL is. So th- if you didn't have those words, I'll be real. I probably would have vetoed, but okay. that kept me in there. Yeah, no, that was my main reasoning, was I think Mm -hmm. that part of SNL 
is absurdity. It is the off-ball, oddball, weird ones where you're just like, what What the hell is going on? But I think this was clever, too. It's, it just seemed like yelling chaos. But if you listen to what they're actually telling each other, it's just to me, it's just really well done. Like the, the reason that Will Forte gives for even leaving the room in the first place was because he didn't have his space. He said, I don't have any... I don't have my space test in here. I have to go retrieve it from the refrigerator. And you're like, what the hell is he talking? So there's just right. like, it's like little lines that, that like that, that speak to, to like my comedy palette and a lot of other people too. So, so a lot of times these 10 to ones are like a saving grace of an otherwise bad episode. This Blake Lively episode was really good. So this was yeah. almost just like the cherry on top of a pretty good episode. But I think, yeah, that's that's basically my argument. Is just like I think there needs to be room for absurdity, and this to me is like a shining example of an absurdist sketch. I had another absurd one from the year two thousand that I that I okay. was ready with too. I, and I'll I'll say this to kind of add on to your point. You know, we can look at it the two thousands for SNL. That's you know the internet had been invented in the nineties, but you know it's the digital age internet. And I feel like this sketch, if this would have been sometime in the 90s or the 80s, it wouldn't be talked about. But because it's in the Internet age, 2009, it's one of those ones that people, it got a lot of buzz later on. You know, I'm not sure if it got a buzz in the moment or not that I'm not sure about. But I know years later, a lot of people talk about this sketch. There's articles written about it. And I think, hey, the Internet kind of helps that. It does. And I feel like in the 80s, if this sketch is weird and it hits on everything but still funny, it would have been lost. The 90s even, maybe kind of still lost. But being this in that decade, you know, 2000s, we're talking and there's that online culture where we can go on to blogs and people are talking about or having podcasts like this that tend to one sketch. And it has a life of its own on the Internet because of it. So it's a it's a good choice. I'm glad you did that, and that's what's fun about this is <laughs> I wouldn't have thought about that, but I'm glad you did. Yeah, I'm so glad. I knew I knew I could talk you into it with just the right passion and just the right phrasing. So I'm. I'm it was glad close it, though. It, yeah, I could tell, but I I could tell, and I wouldn't have blamed you because this yeah this sketch is definitely weird. Definitely doesn't hit with everybody. Like my wife, if I showed this to her, she she wouldn't. I don't think she would like it. She probably wouldn't. Uh, and to be fair, I do like it. Mm-hmm. I was just going into that, is it essential? That's right. where I was it, like, huh? But exactly. I do remember this sketch, and I do like it. It okay. is funny. Okay. It is funny. Awesome. So we got our list. So I want to recap. So we got What Up With That, the first installment of What Up With That from October 2009. More Cowbell from April 2000, Stone Cold Classic. Another Stone Cold Classic, first presidential debate from October 2000. Then we go to May 2009, Goodnight Saigon, and December 2009, Potato Chip Thief. So that's interesting. We got three from 2009 and two from 2000. We didn't yeah. do this. I don't, really didn't do this on purpose. They had plenty on my list from every year in between, honestly. Same. Well, let me ask you, how do you feel about Essential 2000s SNL Sketches episode and we don't have any Lonely Island on here? I thought I did think about that. I thought about I did. Of course, I rewatched Lazy Sunday is probably the one that that we would put if we um, I was going dick in a box. You can go dick in a box. OK, yeah, yeah, I think I like dick in a box better than Lazy Sunday. I just thought I rewatched dick in a box and Lazy Sunday. I love Mother too. Lover, too, quite honestly. Oh, I love Mother. 
Yeah. Mother Lover's great. Yeah. So it's interesting that, yeah, that we don't have a Lonely Island one. I think I tend at probably as an SNL viewer, I love SNL because of the live aspect a lot. And it's no, it's not a coincidence that I lean more toward live sketches mm-hmm. than pre-tapes. And though pre-tapes are awesome. Yeah. But uh, to, to me, what separates SNL from other shows is the live feel of it. So I think maybe subconsciously I lean toward live sketches. Uh, but I did yeah. consider uh, Lonely Island, absolutely. No, and, and I just say that because like, I think a lot of people, they listen, would be like, they'd be surprised. Maybe, hey, outraged that we don't have yeah. it. And and I can understand where they come from. And trust me, they both of them, Dick in a Box and Lazy Sunday, were on my short list. I kind of went with you with the live aspect, but also just what does SNL mean to me and what I think a lot of other fans. Mm-hmm. And I think we kind of hit on what the show hits. Now, it, like, it does, throughout its history, have pre-taped things with it. That is a part of the show. But I feel like I wanted to hit on those other things that really highlighted the live aspect, what makes SNL so unique than any of these other really, you know, institutions in pop culture. Yeah, that's exactly. So we didn't forget about The Lonely Island, any of their wonderful pre-tapes, their great sketches. Uh, We just decided to go other ways with our list. Jeremy, do you have any, like, honorable mentions that you wanted to quickly shout out? Yeah, I thought about, uh, I guess the biggest one for me, since we already talked about The Lonely Island stuff, was Mm -hmm. uh, September 13th, 2008, Tina Fey coming that first time coming back on as Sarah Palin. For me, that was, even though Lonely Island had those videos, it was like for what SNL and political, it was like a jolt that SNL needed. And if anyone forgets or you didn't watch SNL then, the attention that that got. Now, that's an infamous and very famous and historic presidential election, you know, for a lot of different reasons. But when to me, Tina Fey coming out, who she was on Weekend Update, but to me, not really known for her, a sketch performer on Saturday Night Live. Great head writer of the show, very important to the show. So for her to come on there, and it's one of those things where it's like looking back, it should have been so obvious she looks like Sarah oh. Palin. But that first time, you were like, whoa, she's like twins with Sarah Palin. Like, this is insane. And then, so like the appearance was great, but in the fact that she just nailed the impression and nailed everything about Sarah Palin, it was just a classic moment. And it was one of those things where SNL was back. It felt like SNL's back when that happened. So that was like the toughest one for me to leave out, that sketch. Yeah, I could see that. I, I did consider that first Sarah Palin one as well. Um, if I was going to go another absurd one, I don't know if you remember Doctors, the Dr. Beeman with Will Ferrell and Molly Shannon and Chris Parnell. I do. I do. Um, one of my all-time favorite sketches. You would probably agree that that's an absurd <laughs> Oh yeah. Uh, one, too. So I was going to maybe go that way if I wanted to not go Potato Chip Thief, if I wanted to go more absurd. Tim Meadows is Dr. Poop. All sorts of crazy stuff happens in that sketch. Uh, you, you guys should go check out from January of 2000, Dr. Beeman's uh, doctor's office. Um, I was I was close to picking Debbie Downer, the first Debbie Downer. Uh, I, from, yes, yes. From May 2004. It has one of the single funniest lines that never fails to crack me up because by this time in the sketch, they're all like Horatio, Jimmy, all of them basically except Fred Armisen is just kind of like cracking up. So when she pauses and says, By the way, it's official. 
when I'm watching that sketch, that line, just like, even to this day, I've seen that sketch countless times. Those I'll put it on so YouTube, great. and when she says that line, I crack up, like, every single time. And Debbie Downer's, like, to me, an example of, of good breaking. It's a thin premise, not bad, but not great premise. But the the fun that they're having during the sketch and the fact that you know it's live. Like, this is, like, this show's live, and this is what can happen. So Debbie no. Downer, the first Debbie Downer, because we had diminishing returns after that, but that first one with Lindsay Lohan. Yes, and and I almost feel bad for Rachel Drash because she was very good performer on mm-hmm. the show, but I feel like the, the Debbie Downer is so what she's known for. And she was a talented performer, but like when I think of Rachel Drash, I, I go right to those sketches, and I go right to that first Debbie Downer Um and it kind of has the same feel, like as uh, you know, we mentioned earlier, like you said, it breaks and it adds to the show, it adds to the sketch, like it's just great. And we have that with like more cowboy, like the breaking in it, like mm-hmm. added to it. So no, Debbie Downer was a tough one for me too. Yeah, that that's a classic one. I'll probably rewatch that once when we when we got off of recording this, uh, just to laugh all over again. Uh, so, Deremy, I wanted to ask, um, I usually do this toward the end of the show, like I kind of have a question on my mind about our topic and mm-hmm. a little burning questions. So, I'm curious, like over the years, so I've come across a lot of people who say things like SNL hasn't been funny since whenever, their favorite cast, or SNL has never been funny, or they say that. So, they often compare SNL to like other sketch shows, like largely pre-taped ones like Chappelle's show key and peel even nowadays like i think you should leave they compare those shows to snl so how might you respond to someone who has those opinions of snl like oh it's not good or oh key and peel or Chappelle shows much better or it's, it hasn't been good since like how do you because when i host an snl podcast and sometimes i like i'm kind of like i brace myself for when i tell someone i do an snl podcast for them to just share with me that they don't like the show yeah, yeah. So yeah, so that happens. As SNL fans, we're just kind of used to used to that. So, but how do you respond to someone who might have those opinions of SNL? I respond like this, where I kind of take a step back, and now it's different. I don't host an SNL show <laughs> like you, so I, I like we're in different, you know, different lanes here with that. But I can understand a little bit why they would say that, and and especially because for so long. That is where you got a lot of not just sketch humor, but your political. If something happened in politics, you couldn't wait till SNL. As time's gone on, we have more options, more channels, more everything. There's a lot for everybody to pick from, and I think that's where it's like, oh, we have a Chappelle, Key and Peel, uh, John Oliver, The Daily Show, different things, just different. You know, people. I remember back then, even like Mad TV. So I, I understand like where people come from because we have so many more options, and it's like. Well, why are we still talking about SNL? But there's something important that there's a lot of people in the country who maybe, for whatever reason, don't have access to, or they don't watch. They're not watch like you know everything all at once. And guess what? Saturday nights at 11:30, whether it's by themselves or with their families, like that's their time to get that kind of humor. That's their time where they look forward to it. And I think we have to remember that for people that. SNL is something that just in this country, it goes all across. It's not just for like the young hipsters. It's not just for the people in the cities. People in middle America are watching SNL and you you have to think outside of just your own box. So I say, I remember 
Norm McDonald, the late Norm McDonald, saying this in an interview that he, you know, he's a stand-up, and he was like, oh, you know, after his time on SNL, it's like, oh, you know, kind of wasn't sure about how he felt about it. And he said another comedian said, not everyone can go to the comedy clubs to see you perform. There's a lot. Most people aren't going to be able to see you perform. So where they see you is 1130 you know, on Saturday nights. And of course you could throw in on David Letterman and comedy, other talk shows, but that's where a lot of people get to see you. And that's where a lot of people get to see a lot of this great sketch humor we're talking Mm -hmm. about. So I just tell people to, I understand where you come from, but think outside our own little bubbles or your own little bubble. And a lot of people, this is an institution and this is where they sit down with their loved ones and friends and still watch this show. Yeah, those are all such good points. I tend to tell a lot of people are similar things. For the folks who say that like SNL hasn't been funny since Dana Carvey and Mike Myers, I, I tell those people, well, first of all, I loved that era. Like those, That was my cast. But also, you're only remembering the good things. You're only mm-hmm. remembering the best ofs. So you're comparing yeah. last night's SNL episode to an entire era's best sketches. So the recent SNL is not going to win out over your romanticized best memories of a whole era, you know? Right. So, so I think that's what a lot of people do. They'd be like, Oh, the sketch that I saw last night with Mikey day and Ego Wodum, that wasn't as funny. Uh, I didn't, I didn't like that as much as like Wayne's world or something like that. I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like, you know, you're comparing it to like somebody's best of like, that's not, yeah. that's not fair. It's like, it's like somebody from the nineties telling me, Oh, the NBA used to be better in in the '90s than it was today, and their example would be showing me last night's uh, Hornets Kings game compared to the 1993 All Star game. Like, yeah, it's like it's yeah, you're not comparing it's apples and oranges. You're not you're you're thinking of of the great things from an entire era. So that's what I tell those people. So for, and for the people who say that SNL is a lot worse than like Chappelle Show, Key and Peele things like that. I love those shows, mm-hmm. love those sketch shows, but they're doing something different. They're they're yeah. Those are pre-taped shows. Mm-hmm. They have, I love Key and Peele, but they have time to write, rewrite, reshoot, edit. Like they have time to like craft a show like that. And if you know, no, if you notice that SNL's pre-tapes, sometimes a lot of times are better than, the live sketches for that reason they have they have time not as much time as like key and peel and Chappelle show did and everything but they're just doing they're trying to do something different than all these other pre-taped sketch shows well and i think you're right great points and also we need an snl because where else are you going to get that on prime time television yeah. the live comedy aspect but also the you know, the factory for up and coming comedic talents. And I know the show's becomes, you know, well, it always was a, a having big deal, you know, people come on there ever since even like the first year, but still, so like they are interacting with big celebrities, big stars and stuff like that. But it's really a factory for people to really, you know, give those chop, like, you know, see, like get more polished and to give, like we mentioned, these great comedic stars, like, where else are you seeing that? You know, right. I think the closest thing is what, like, the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson when he would have stand-ups come on, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not really getting that a lot of times when it comes to it. So I think 
it's cool that we have that. And, and whenever that time comes, if it does come, like that SNL stops, it, we're going to, it's going to be a big void that it we're is. missing. Like, and I think those people who come at you and say stuff, and I hope that time is for a long time. Like, I don't hope it's any time recent, but um, they'll, they'll miss it. And they'll realize like what a void it is. Like something political happens and, I can't wait till 1130, even if they were hating on it. Like, well, let's see what people are saying. Then when it's gone, it's like, oh, damn, it's gone. So yeah, it, it's a big void. Yeah, yeah it, it would be a big void. And I urge people to understand, too, the the high wire act that goes into producing an episode of SNL. And and that's that's one of my favorite things about SNL is understanding how it gets done. They're creating a show from scratch in a week, less than a week. So they meet on Mondays. They meet with the host on a Monday and yeah. they pitch ideas or whatever with the host. And then they start writing on like Tuesday morning and they have to write a whole sketch. They, a lot of times they stay overnight to do this. They're groggy, tired. So they have basically have a whole week to meet the host, pitch sketches, write sketches, get the uh, sets, get the costumes, blocking, rehearsals, do all of that. Even if they're doing a pre-tape. They have to like shoot the pre-tape and edit it. Sometimes they're editing the pre-tape like a, a couple minutes before it hits the air, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. So I, I urge people to, when you watch SNL, understand the high wire act that goes into producing this show. And to me, that's fascinating. So that's why if there's a bad sketch, I'm more interested. I don't get like it's a personal affront to me that the sketch is bad. I more so analyze it like, why was that sketch bad? Like, why didn't it work? And could it have worked? If just make a couple tweaks. So I don't like get annoyed with a bad sketch. To me, it, int- it fascinates me if a sketch completely bombs. <laughs> that's yeah, just my feeling. I, that's as an SNL viewer, that's what I love about the show. I, I, I'll tell you what has annoyed me and it kind of backed up a little bit. I feel I didn't like getting established celebrities to play mm-hmm. certain, like, especially for political. I, I didn't want Alec Baldwin playing Trump. That was the I, worst. You know, I didn't like that. I, I want to see, even if it fails, give me a cast member to do that. Let's see. Let's see how they do. If it's not the greatest, okay, like fine. Because for what you said, um, well, why isn't that person making it work? Or why did they pick that person? Mm-hmm. What if they picked this cast member instead? I don't like, I mean, if the celebrity is hosting, that's different. But if just like they're making a cameo appearance, like Melissa McCarthy as Spicy, and she was funny, I don't take that away. She was awesome as Sean Spicer, but, but I, I still I, was I agree like with you though, yeah, yeah. The 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 idea is I, I want to see a up and comer make it and do their thing, and I'm like that's to me what SNL is all about. So um, you know, seeing Jim Carrey as Biden, I I didn't like that. Mm-hmm. Like I I want to see. Yeah a star being born and if it's through that way or if it's not through that way, they don't make it. Okay. Hey, next year you got to go find a, a Biden or you got to go find a Trump. Like that's part of your goal for next year, Lauren and all the producers. But I, I didn't, that's one thing later on. Like I didn't like Marcy, who do we have that can play a Biden this year? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So they, yeah, they had Alex Moffat and then James Austin Johnson. Now they have Mikey day. Doing Biden, I love. I actually thought Mikey Day did did a really good job. Uh, I think so too. As Biden, he was really good. So I'm looking forward to seeing. Hopefully, Mikey Day just is the permanent Biden right now, and James Austin Johnson can play Trump. And as much as, quite honestly, like I'm obviously not a Trump fan, don't like Trump, but I think yeah. James Austin Johnson 
his take on Trump is outstanding to me. Yes. I love yes. I love his take on Trump. So uh, you're right. Give me cast members in these roles. Lord knows the current cast is big enough so <laughs> where we can try anybody out in, in, in these roles that you need. So I agree with you, you Jeremy. And I, I'll say this too, like this may be, may sound weird to non like SNL, like historians or SNL, like nerds like us. I'm counting down the days and it's like, we're still like a year and some change apart to the SNL 50th celebration. Yes. Like I can't wait because I loved, I mean, I remember watching the 25th and that was good. That, that was really cool. I remember taping that on VHS back in 2000, but the SNL 40th was one of the coolest events I've ever seen in anything. And like just seeing like all those iconic people in one space and then even like watching the days after and hearing different people give the backstage stories about the parties. And that's really like maybe Prince's like last great moment, sadly, was him killing it at the SNL after party for the 40th. And, you know, like Jimmy Fallon, you go on YouTube and, and hear him tell that story about the after party. But I, I love that so much. I can't wait for the 50th. Like, I can't wait to see what they do for that. Yeah, as far as I know, they are planning to do something for the 50th. Oh, it's yeah. probably going to be in like February of 2025, uh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, that's how nerdy I am. That's how much yeah. outside of this, I don't have a life, Thomas. <laughs> I'm, I can't wait until I can't wait February either. 2025. Oh, I'm excited. I was looking at my Google calendar because I'm pretty sure I put, I put something in my Google because I thought I had seen a date somewhere or heard a date somewhere. So I'm pretty sure I actually put it in my calendar, Jeremy, for a year and a half out. You know what's weird is, and I know you're further, I'm in Philly, so it's yeah. like an hour and a half train ride to, you know, um, Times Square, you know, Penn Station. Part of me is like, because I remember thinking this back in, you know, for the 40th, like, I should just be in that area because everyone's there. And I'm mm -hmm. like, I may just, you know, because you know that that's going to be, you can't get that ticket. But like, right. to be in that area, just that day and night just to like be around just see who's as february is gonna, probably gonna be cold but i don't mm -hmm. care i just want to be there because like i mean who knows also like lauren like i've heard some talks about like he wants to like stay for that and then maybe he's right. so you feel like it's going to be a big special thing they did tributes for lauren in the 40th which i thought were really heartfelt and nice but i think you'll even get more of that and just more fun stuff like i i can't wait for that yeah, I think it's going to be awesome. Maybe we we know enough people in the SNL nerd community to maybe organize like a hey, let's all meet up in New York City and have a little watch party or do something. That'd be like, awesome. I don't know. We have. I would. Yeah. I would do it. I'll talk to our buddies, uh, John Schneider at the Saturday Night Network. A uh, good yeah. guy, good friend of mine. Maybe uh, that might have to be in the cards. Because I I think it's just. Um... I don't know if we'll get anything else like that to be no. not to put too much pressure, but like there's nothing else. The Grammys or like that there's they're just one genre of something, but you're gonna get everybody pretty much I think all living icons will be at that event, you know, February twenty twenty five. So like you gotta be there. Yeah, I can't wait. And man, this has been fun. I think the viewer or the listeners know they can feel how much we love SNL. Like I think they can yeah. feel the passion here. Like this show means a lot to us, Jeremy. And it was just so much fun to chat with you about. Quite frank, frankly, like we've never talked about any of these sketches, you and I. No, we've talked to no. SNL, but you know, 
I don't think like Adam McKay and Dick Ebersol, but I don't think we've ever really gone a deep dive on any of these sketches really. So Definitely that was not. really fun to hear your opinions on all these. Yeah, same man. And I think um, even because people are like, oh, these guys love SNL, but I think you can hear how much SNL has affected our pop culture fandom and our pop culture love and why we have passions for all these episodes. Like uh, SNL has helped influence that in a way too. So this was definitely fun. And guess what? We, there, there can be cast members, essential cast members. There's all these other decades of great comedy. So th- this won't be the last SNL episode either. Not at all. Not, not by a long shot. We're going to do more, more uh, SNL episodes for sure. All right, Mr. Dove. So next week, kind of give us a quick preview. What's on tap for next week? You know, pandemic has been rough to this guy. Like 2020 on, it's it hasn't been great. But that's kind of why I wanted to do it, Thomas. I mm-hmm. wanted to be like, let's try to bring it back why people do love this guy and what that is. So it's going to be essential Fresh Prince of Bel Air episodes. I I love TV, as you guys can hear from talking about SNL. And part of me is like, man, everything about Will Smith has been not great, and rightfully so. He has not had a great past few years, to be quite honest. It's been kind of rough for Will. But I'm like, I want to go back to why I love this guy and why he was in our hearts so special and the thing that I think connects him with so many people and connects me with so many people is this TV show, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And I think it was a hit in the 90s, but over time, I think it just has grown into, man, how many people this show really just affected their lives. So I think to do, not best, like we always say, but essential Mm -hmm. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air episodes, I'm just beyond excited to do, man. Yeah, this is going to be a great one. I know myself. That was an important show to me growing up. I watched a lot of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air mm-hmm. when I was a kid. So, uh, yeah, this will be a great one. Looking forward to another uh, television Pop Culture 5 uh, episode. So this will be fantastic. Thank you so much, Jeremy. I'd like to thank all of our listeners. Special thanks to Eddie Murphy, Vanessa Bear, Will Forte, and Bill Hader, this has been a great week revisiting SNL sketches and sharing our essentials with you. For Jeremy Dove, I'm Thomas Senna. So long, everybody. Good night, everybody. some such.